This is Table Radio. Today's conversation was originally recorded for Sunday, April 24th, between Anna Spray and Andy Withrow. Enjoy. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of Table Radio. And in place of a sermon today, we're doing something a little different, aren't we, Andy? Yeah, we sure are. Do you want to explain to everyone out there what's happening well, this week? Well, so at the table, if, you don't, if, you, if you've never gone to the table, you might not know this, but we are not structured like a typical church where you go to the big building every Sunday and you sit down and you hear a sermon. Uh, we do something different. Every other Sunday, instead of going to the big thing, we go to a small thing somewhere in the city. Mm -hmm. And we've got about four of these smaller neighborhood tables, we call them. And some of them meet in homes. One of them does meet here at the church. Um, Historically, they've met in rec centers. You can meet outdoors in the park. Um, And it's anywhere from a dozen to maybe 25 people Mm -hmm. with kids and everything. So, um, And those are more designed to have a space to worship where you live. And um, instead of typically, instead of doing a full on, you know, sermon, we like to do things a bit more conversation based. And so this what we're doing today is just sort of reflecting that neighborhood table style a little bit more. So instead of Anna preaching a 25 minute sermon into the camera or onto a podcast, she and I are going to have a little conversation. But she's done all the work. She's prepared everything. I just get to say, wait, what do you mean by that? And what about this? And that sort of thing or answer her questions if she has any. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll be anticipating what other people's questions might be. And then what we do is we send this out to our neighborhood table leaders, and they can prepare the text for the week to lead a conversation on the text. Uh, This week, we're back in Matthew 17, uh, towards the end of the chapter. And, uh, and we'll send this to them, but then we'll also put this out on the podcast and anybody can listen that's wanting to dig a little deeper into the text. So that's what we're going to do together today. Great. Let's jump in. All right. So last week we celebrated Easter and we jumped ahead in Matthew to kind of the climax of the story, the resurrection. Uh, but we're going to go back and we're going to pick up the story where we last left it. And uh, I just want to look at the end of chapter 16, um, specifically verse 21 of chapter 16 in Matthew's gospel. And this is the first time that Jesus predicts his own death. And it's Matthew sort of explains it in a narrative way. Um, but then you can see that obviously Peter, who is always kind of the figurative representative of all the disciples for good or for ill in this gospel, Peter obviously has an issue with this and he gets very upset. Um, and it's a confrontation between the two of them. And then after that event, uh, the transfiguration takes place. Um, Jesus heals uh, a boy who's possessed by a demon. We've covered those. And then here we are at the end of chapter 17, verse 22, and Jesus does the same thing again. Um, When they came together in Galilee, the text says, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to human hands. He will be killed, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So in a way, Matthew's kind of bookending all these exciting episodes within his gospel with this very sober and somber realization that Jesus is going to die, and he's trying to prepare his disciples for that eventuality. So that's kind of the different ways that 
Matthew's kind of dividing the different episodes. And then after that second prediction, they begin this discussion about temple tax. Uh, Do you know much about temple tax, Andy? Um, I think it was related to the temple. (laughs) That's a safe bet. It was a portion of your money. Mm Mm-hmm. That's about it. That's, that's, all, that's all you got? That's all yeah. Got. Well, that's that's better than nothing. Okay, it's a start. Uh, <laughs> the temple tax was one of the five kind of regular expectations that Jewish males above, to age 20 and above were expected to adhere to. So you would pay your temple tax. You would do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem maybe once a year uh, at least. Uh, you'd worship in the synagogue regularly. That was a way of showing that you were a part of the community of faith. Um, you would keep the, the feast calendar, the different um, Jewish feasts were part of your year, and um, you, would, you would be relating to the wider Jewish diaspora, the wider community that was not just in Jerusalem, but spread throughout the whole ancient world. And, and in these different ways, you were saying, yes, I belong to God, I belong to the people of Israel, and I am a believer. And that was part of your regular religious practice. Yeah, these are these all strike me as very communal activities. Right. Even from like even the tax itself is there to support, it's for the sake of other people. Yeah, yeah, it is to give towards the well-being of the community and the continuation of worship at the temple and there was an idea that we are participating in something greater than ourselves and mm-hmm. this is a part of the way that we show that we believe and that we belong. Yeah, even thinking about the communal nature of pilgrimages, I'm sure. Um the communal nature of worship, like the the rhythm of your week, that everybody would go to worship at the synagogue every Sabbath, every seven days, mm-hmm. and then the yearly feast calendar, three major feasts throughout the year. I think so. And I so know there's more now. Those were big deals. Yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. it was a big festive time, and, and you just can imagine kind of like the things that we have in our own family lives, or um, or even our communal life as as a yeah. community, or as a city, or as a nation that these things are kind of help with your identity and reinforce who we are and and something that we do together. Yeah, yeah. So paying your temple tax was a way of identifying with the community and showing that you care Mm. about God, but also about his people. And so this is kind of the issue that the disciples are confronted with in verse 24 of chapter 17. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first one to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. (laughs) So yeah, it's kind of a curious episode. Here we are, Peter and Jesus again. Peter is kind of the universal figure to represent all the disciples. He's the one that Jesus interacts with the most personally in Matthew's gospel. And they have this little discussion about paying temple tax. Um, and it's it's kind of a funny discussion because mm-hmm. again, Jesus speaks in a bit of a parable, you know, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? You know, 
is this a rhetorical question? Is this an easy question to answer? And, and Peter gives him an, an answer fairly simply. Um, and then Jesus says, but the children are exempt. Ergo, we are exempt. Um, but so that we might not cause offense. You know, we're aware in the gospel at this point that there's a lot of opposition towards Jesus, especially from within the Jewish community itself. Mm-hmm. And there's an idea that, you know, if he didn't pay the temple tax there would be an uprising, right? There would be a conflict, um, especially because this is something that happens within the community. We're not talking about paying taxes to Caesar. We're talking about paying taxes to the community of God, to the temple community itself. Hmm. And so if Jesus doesn't pay it, um, you can imagine there would be quite an uproar. Yeah. What... So what's Jesus, why is Jesus framing the discussion this way about the the question of children versus subjects? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I, I only sort of can pause it as an answer. I think part of it is, you know, the question in Matthew always goes back to who do you say I am? Mm -hmm. Who is Jesus? You know, and if Jesus is Lord, then we are his children. So he's saying he's, well, I, I thought we were going to. Well, he's saying he's exempt specifically. Like, is this a yep. claim to his own relationship to God? I think that's one. part of it. And then, two, his friends are in with him. I think he's also trying to say, You are children of God, you hmm. are free. And I, you know, constantly throughout this gospel, the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to trip Jesus up over matters of the law. This is what they want to do. They want to question his credibility by tripping him up over matters of the law. And so paying the temple tax is another test in a way that like, Oh, are you, are you, where do you stand on this issue? You know, and if we can expose you over this, Mm -hmm. maybe we can question your credibility all over the place and cause people to doubt you and to not believe in you. And I think Jesus is, you know, continually in these discussions over law, he is continually introducing the gospel of grace, which is new, especially for a community that, you know, followed, like how many laws did the average Jew follow in a day? Like hundreds? (laughs) I can't remember the number specifically, but, you know, Jews were um, very religious in their day-to-day practice and culture, and that was all tied up with their faith. So there's this idea that they're conforming more to the law than they are to the person of God himself. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, conform to me. I am the new temple of God. I am the new place that people gather around and, and reconstitute their faith around. It's The yeah. temple isn't the, the only dwelling place of God's presence on earth anymore. I am God's temple. Yeah. So he wants to say, I'm free from, or we are free from obligation, but we will not cause offense. Yeah. So kind of saying, I don't have to pay the tax, but I will. Yeah. But then not reaching into his pocket to pull it out. No. Well, he didn't have money, really. I mean, <laughs> you know, they weren't he didn't have no. pockets. He didn't have pockets in <laughs> Well, also, like, Judas is keeping the purse, right? And so maybe he wasn't there at the time. Yeah. Or maybe he was squirreling it away for future use. Sure. So, but it does seem like he's he's trying to make a point when he tells Peter to go to the lake, mm-hmm. throw in his line, 
And I mean, it's another crazy miracle. Yeah. Right. Like who picks up a fish out of the water and there's money in its mouth and the exact amount of money you need for that exact moment. Yeah. So it's kind of this, it's this funny miracle because it's, you know, it's not healing somebody or providing food for thousands of people. Mm -hmm. It's providing money to get out of a bit of a sticky situation. Yeah. So it kind of shows you like, well, Jesus can literally just get money out of thin air if he needs it. Mm -hmm. But the, the point being that the loyalty of the Jews or the, the center of their existence is not going to be the temple anymore. Mm. It's not going to be located there. Jesus himself is going to be the center of their faith right. and worship and devotion. And, you know, we think about later in the Gospels when Jesus is anointed by the woman with perfume and anointed for burial. That is an act of worship mm-hmm. because he himself is God's temple. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this whole way that Jesus is trying to reorder everything in and around himself. Mm-hmm. And you see, even in this small way, there's all these stumbling blocks that Israelites faced in, in trying to accept this whole new redefinition of, of their faith and their worship. Yeah. So do you think this passage is more about Jesus' identity, or do you think it's more about how to behave, how to how to use your freedom, similar to what we when we were in the Romans series in the fall. Which, that was there's a major emphasis on yes, you're totally free to do this, but love your brother, love your sister. I think it's about both. I think it is about Jesus establishing his authority. I mean, that's been a big piece of conversation in Matthew, and right after mm-hmm. this portion, in fact, um, in chapter eighteen. Uh, Matthew begins what some commentators call the the little beatitudes, uh-huh. and it's again more text around how to be the church and who is the church. Mm-hmm. And so, right preceding that section, there's this little passage about Jesus again saying, "You know, I I am God's temple. Like I am here for a reason." And yeah. and so there's a sense of, you know, the repeating refrain. Throughout Matthew has been, here is my son, listen to him. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I, so I think there's some of that. But then I think you're right. I think there's also this sense of, well, seeing who Jesus is, then who are we and how, how do we reorder our lives around him? Yeah. What do we have? If we have freedom from the law, if we have freedom from the temple, then what are we going to use our freedom for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a question you know, obviously that the disciples face, but we face as well. What are we going to use our freedom for? Mm-hmm. You know, if I have freedom to be exempt from the tax, but I know that me not complying would upset people, is it reasonable for me to use my freedom to upset people or to use it in ways yeah. that would encourage people? Yeah. So thinking about like the mask mandates, for example, you know, churches aren't bound any longer in our province to hold to any particular criteria. Mm-hmm. We were for a long time, but those have loosened. So how do we use our new freedom? Do we just kind of meet together and not worry about the consequences and not worry about those who are vulnerable in our midst? Or do we continue to persist in trying to love one another and care for one another? You know, talking about our neighborhood tables, there's some neighborhood tables that have been meeting outside this entire 
season, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> like what, two, two plus years at this point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of people can make the argument like that's frustrating. And it is, that's a sacrifice. But people are doing that to sacrifice on behalf of like their brother or sister who might have really complex health needs or is you know, perhaps um, hesitant to come inside a building with lots of people again, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's always a question for us is, you know, Christ has set us free from the law, from, from kind of the requirements of religious legalities. If we can truly like approach the throne of grace whenever we want to, Mm -hmm. are we going to abuse that freedom or we're going to use it for good in the world? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, all that's just the, the language around freedom from the law. Um, I think it helps me think of it in terms of freedom from anxiety or fear of not measuring up or not being enough. Mm. So we think about that in our relationships with one another and, and, and fundamentally in our relationship with God or, or our spiritual understanding of, of life and reality. And so I, th- and I think what we learned from, from our time in Romans that I think maybe is coming to to bear here as well is that freedom and loving go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't think we can love others well if we're burdened by anxiety and fear. Those tend to, True. those tend to taint our relationships yeah. with one another. It comes out of us. Yeah. Um, and so in in the gospel, God is giving this us this gift of freedom that Jesus is living out and highlighting and teaching his disciples and us. And if we can live into that freedom, then it really means that we can truly love and care for one another. So mm-hmm. if we're going to take it here, then Jesus knows who he belongs to. He knows who he is. He doesn't have to pay this temple tax. He yeah. doesn't want to. But he also doesn't need to... Um, he doesn't also is free to to care for others, yeah, and not unnecessarily offend. I guess is in, in this in this passage. Yeah, and I think that's a real question for us all the time. Yeah, you know, as we examine ourselves daily, is you know, am I unnecessarily offending people? Of course, we do things accidentally. Yeah, but you know, there's been so much conversation in our social culture lately mm. about freedom and personal individual rights and and in a way that is kind of the god of our time right mm-hmm. like people want to live as if their choices and actions don't affect other people and you know we've yeah. all said oh but the pandemic has taught us otherwise but but it's always been true that yeah. whatever we do or say has repercussions in the life of other people mm-hmm. and not that we want to be afraid <laughs> of acting or or um, speaking because we're afraid of how other people might react. But the sense of like, if I have the potential to bless people Mm -hmm. or to frustrate them, Mm -hmm. which am I going to choose? I think that's, that could be a very difficult piece of discernment because Jesus definitely frustrates people as we see in the gospel. But I think, I I think you, the the key is in that question of what am I afraid of? Mm-hmm. Am I afraid of what other people think of me? Because Jesus is not, and so he will frustrate people. Yep. But also, am I am I afraid of um, not being enough or not measuring up? Mm-hmm. Because that's that will often lead us towards not blessing others or being stingy with others, or yeah. or it'll affect our relationships. So I think I think that's a helpful thing when when we're thinking about 
wow, why am I being so ungenerous towards this person? Or why mm. am I, why am I behaving this way in the relationship? Um, it can be tempting, I think, for us to say, oh, I just need to love them. I just need to love them. I just need to love them. But if we're not truly free, mm-hmm. it's not, we're not going to be able to do that. So I think a better question is, what is the fear or the anxiety behind that might be behind this behavior of mine? Yeah. And can I address that with, with the gospel? Because unless I address that and unless I find the freedom, then I don't think I'm going to be able to love people well. Mm-hmm. And it can be very frustrating in my own experience to just try to like hunker, just like clench my fist. Like I'm just going to love them better, <laughs> you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's housemates, roommates, uh, family, children, um, children <laughs> co-workers, all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's like, what what's behind this stuff as opposed to just like, oh, I just need to change my behavior because that doesn't, that's not as effective. It doesn't work as well. Just to, no, to it doesn't work as well. I mean, I think, you know, communication is an important piece of that. Mm. Um, you know, we, we can think that we're loving people well from our perspective and we could be totally missing the mark yeah. unless we check in with them and ask them. And I just think, you know, nothing has taught me more about this topic than being a parent because mm-hmm. you have these children that come into the world totally like, unsocialized and uncivilized and they just kind of wreak havoc in your life in a sense because they they don't know social norms and they don't know how to be kind and they they don't know how to think of others before yourself and and so a lot of your job you know as a parent is to teach these people this is Mm -hmm. how we coexist in a society this is how we coexist in a family this is how you can be a friend this is how you can behave towards other people and and even if they're unkind to you, you can be kind to them. Um, and that literally takes years mm-hmm. <laughs> to teach and to to mentor them in that way. And we and yet we all know the best way to do that is by example. Yeah. And as parents, we miss the mark in that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or or as brothers and sisters or as children of our own parents, like mm-hmm. we're thinking in terms of kind of our families or um uh, love is just like living together, right? Like, yeah, which which could be family, but it could just be could be housemates or roommates and that sort of thing, because that's where kind of the day to day of life kind of catches you in your not your best moments. Totally, and nobody knew that better than Peter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not even a chapter before this, Jesus rebukes Peter. Yeah, <laughs> get behind me, Satan! And yet here they are you know, restored to each other, chatting again, and Jesus is engaging with him, Mm -hmm. mentoring him, teaching him. Like Jesus hasn't given up on Peter. He didn't cast him out because he, you know, was refusing to accept his crucifixion. Like Mm -hmm. they they were restored to each other at this point. And then they would break apart again. And then Mm -hmm. they'd be restored to each other once again after the resurrection. Like it's interesting to examine that particular relationship in the gospel because time and time again, and we've talked about this previously in this series, like Peter blows it, and Jesus continues to restore him to relationship. You know, there's there's no kind of, even his denial of Jesus, Peter isn't unforgivable by mm-hmm. God after that, you know? Yeah. And and yet they they pick up and they carry on in their relationship again. It's really kind of a an incredible story mm-hmm. of continual forgiveness. Right. Yeah, that's good. I was thinking, I was thinking if we were going to wrap up with a question, kind of a practical outworking or question or two 
uh, I would just rephrase it. What I already said is, you know, the practice of examine at the end at the end of your day. Mm-hmm. Of uh, it's sort of sit around this idea of of this ideas of consolation and desolation. What what brought me to God or what took me away from God? But tweaking that a bit, um, where have I acted out of a place of belonging to God and mm-hmm. His family? So that's kind of the that's the maybe one of the main ideas here is you know the Children are free. The children of the king are yeah. free. So where have I acted out of a place of belonging to God? And where have I failed to act? Or where have my where have my actions come out of a place of not being in that belonging? Mm-hmm. Because that I think would get at the root, potentially get at the root of where some of these behaviors are coming yeah. from that are fear and anxiety. So that might be a helpful one for, yeah. for folks. That's great. Yeah. I definitely think if we if we think about what privileges and rights we mm-hmm. inhabit by being children of God. And what is accessible to us, what is available to us, you know, that should allay our fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Did we do it? I think we might have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, this is just the beginning of the discussion. Now our neighbor table groups are going to take this and have more discussion of their oh. own. Are we going to get to hear it? I mean, if you attend your neighborhood table this Sunday. Oh, that's the key. Okay, go make sure everyone get out to your neighborhood table this Sunday. Yeah, great. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church in Victoria, B.C. Music for this episode performed by the Table Church. For more information on our community, go to tablechurch.ca.